All right. Well, if you have your Bible, let's open to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11 this morning. I entitled our message, True Light Shines as Love. If you need to borrow a Bible, you can raise your hand real high. And Nate and Josh, uh, the bearded retired Marines, be happy to uh, that you borrow a Bible so you can follow along. Again, we're in 1 John, making our way through this epistle. We'll pick up where we left off from two weeks ago. You missed out last week, Pastor Rich from Tokyo was our guest speaker. It was a great message. It was really timely. It was about spiritual warfare. If you missed out on that, I invite you to you know, check out the live stream or the podcast. Uh, really encouraged me. But two weeks ago is where we left off. We're just picking up from where we were. Uh, we ended at verse 6, so 7 through 11 this morning. And uh, if you're there with me, I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of God and His Word. I'll read these verses aloud. You can follow along in your Bibles. Of course, John, the beloved disciple, the Apostle John, he's the author of this letter. As all of Scripture, inspired by the Spirit of God, he writes, Brethren, your Bible might even say beloved, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. And then he says to me, curiously, again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He comes back to this premise, kind of these quick litmus tests of our faith that he has uh, given us through the first chapter and the second. He says, he who says... He is in the light, and yet, the idea is yet, or but hates his brother, well, that person's in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. And then again, as his pattern is, he goes back to the negative, and he says, but he who hates his brother is in darkness, and walks in darkness, and does not know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes." We're going to pause there, and let's pray. We'll ask God to help us to make sense and to put some handles on these truths for us so we can walk out with these things. Father, we thank you again for a beautiful day you've given us here in Okinawa. And Lord, even as we talk about the marathon and reminded of how your word describes our faith in many ways, and one of those ways is like a race that we get to run our race with endurance, that you've called us that we might lay aside every weight and every sin that can so easily ensnare us and trip us up. And so we want to cast those things away. And Lord, then help us to run our race in the lane that you've called us to run in and the pace that you've given us, along with those, Lord, who would spur us on together in community Uh, to run this race with endurance, this walk of faith, this race of faith you've set before us. And Lord, like the the Apostle Paul would say to the Philippian church, we we then want to press toward and upward to that upward call of Christ, the prize that we have waiting for us in Christ Jesus. And so Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you, the eyes on the prize, and uh, Lord, that we be steady in our pace. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, God, by faith for how you'll speak and challenge us. 
And Lord, I do pray that we would leave different than we first walked in through those sliding doors or when we first clicked on the live stream or wherever, wherever we may be this morning as we're listening and watching. Lord, have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, take a moment. You guys know the routine. Say hello to somebody. Introduce yourself to somebody new. So this past Wednesday was Valentine's Day. Did you guys maybe participate in Valentine's Day? No, nobody. Our church is unloving. Couple of you. Okay. <laughs> or as my older kids would say, it's National Single Awareness Day. Is what they, they call it. Um, all right. For those of you who did participate, did you did you follow Japanese culture and tradition? You guys know what that is, right? In Japan, it's the girls, it's the ladies that give the guys chocolate on Valentine's Day. Did anybody do that? All right, good job, good job, Bethany. Yeah. Uh, so guys, if you did receive chocolate, uh, you're on a hook in that because on March 14th, it's White Day. And on that particular day then, according to at least some websites that I read, the guys have to give back chocolate, but anywhere between three to five times as much more. Like you, like who made that rule? I, I think a woman did. I think a, a wife did, right? Like where did that come from? <laughs> I, I, I was looking uh, this week, and according to the, of all places, the Japan Rail website, so, you know, the, um, the rail system, they had this little article talking about it. Apparently, in Japan, according to them, uh, Unlike the States or maybe other places, they don't do flowers, they don't do cards, they just purely do chocolate, just stay in the lane of chocolate, all forms of chocolate, which, you know, works for me because I don't discriminate against chocolate. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll take it any form I can get it. But they actually have categories. I thought this was funny. They have categories of chocolate. I didn't know this. So, for example, they have one, they call it giri choco, giri choco, and it roughly translates as obligation chocolate. You have to give it. And so it's your boss, it's coworkers. You know, it's just you're kind of culturally forced to have to give this chocolate. That's giddy choco. I, I got some giddy choco. <laughs> My wife didn't get me anything, but I got some giddy choco. Uh, the other one's called homemade choco. And apparently these are treats that are often um, handmade or homemade. Uh, and they, they're given to a significant other like a husband or a boyfriend. So homemade choco. Uh, and then the other one, I thought it was funny, it's called jibun choco. Jibun just means you're, you just buy it for yourself. So <laughs> you're like, I don't care, I'm going to get it for myself. Uh, and the other one's called tomo, tomo choco, which is like tomodachi, so friendship. So typically, according to the article, it was funny, typically expensive and elaborate chocolate gifted between girl, female friends, and then in the article said, enjoyed away from the men with, a, with an exclamation mark. <laughs> so... Uh, anyways, I, I was blessed to get some giddy choco, some obligation choco, and I told Christy, just get your own jibun choco. Bye, bye. You know, here's a thousand yen, knock yourself out, babe. So, um, You know, lo love and appreciation for others, it, it can be demonstrated in, in different ways, and I think it's fun to see how it's expressed uh, in different cultural contexts, especially here in Japan or United States and different things. And, and, of course, as we, we come to the scripture, we realize that there is a, a, a Christian cultural context. Right? There's a context for us as a church in which God is defined, in which we get to, and maybe I even should say it this way, that we should express our love to one another, express our appreciation to one another. And a lot of that John explores for us. 
not just in this section, but it's all of 1 John, and he dips a little bit into 2 John, even in 3 John, but John himself will have a lot to say about love and what love is. Anybody remember uh, the American, 1999, a U.S. band by the name of Foreigner? You remember that, that group? And they asked the question, I want to know what love is, or made a statement, right? I want to know what love is. Well, if they read 1 John, they would know what love is. Because John describes what love is, not exhaustively, by the way, but certainly the heart of God. What love is, what love is not, what we should love and what we shouldn't love. He's going to describe for us in some ways, some very specific ways, what does love look like? How, how does that play out in our lives? And how does God define it for us? And so for our time this morning, we're going to make our way through this section, and hopefully we'll be able to put some handles on some of these principles, and that the Spirit would turn them into practices for you as you and I leave at the close here in, in you know, about an, an hour or so, or less than actually. So verse 7, he says, Brethren, or your Bible might say, Beloved, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. Uh, we may mention every time he, he does this, uh, that we noted before that John addresses his readers with affection. It's a very family type of affection. He, he calls them brothers or brethren or even calls them beloved. He's going to continue to use that term. In fact, back in verse 1, we, we made note how he calls them little children. Uh, he does that very differently than, than the Apostle Paul and, and Peter and the others. Uh, there's this fatherly affection that he has for his readers. And, and we made note of that before, and I thought it's important for us to note when we see these things. It really speaks to John as the author, his own heart, and really it's God's heart, but his heart for the people that he's writing to. He's very pastoral, but he's very parental, if you will, right? He, he cares about their souls. He cares about how they're doing with the Lord. He cares about the sincerity of their walk, that it wasn't just be words, it wouldn't just be uh, a profession of faith, a confession of faith, but there'll be substance there. There'll be something that is actually visible and tangible there. Why? Because he wants God's best for them. Now, we have seen him say some pretty hard things. And even though he has said some tough things and some hard things to hear, what we have to understand is that it comes from compassion. He, he'll point out hypocrisy. He'll point out inconsistencies. He'll point out compromise. I mean, he, he loves to use the phrase, if you say this, but you don't do this, he doesn't mind. He'll just punch us in the face. You're a liar. You're deceiving yourself. You're walking in darkness. And so he doesn't hold back. And, and so there's an element of that I think we, we can appreciate or we should appreciate. There's an example there, certainly, I think, for us that it's good to have somebody in your life, it's good for me to have somebody in my life that loves me, that loves you enough, that will call you out when you're being stupid, that, will, that you've invited into that space that will challenge you and hold you accountable. Yes, there are times where we need encouragement, right? Man, we can get beat up in this life, and so... Having a battle buddy, having a brother, having a sister to come alongside and say, listen, it's going to be okay. I'm going to jump in the foxhole and pray with you and encourage you. 
it's good. We, we need pat on the backs. But just as good at times, we also need kicks in the bottom, right? We, we, need, we need those that will come alongside and spur us on and challenge us. And, and so we see John doing that. And, and when he begins then to talk about love, I think it's important for us, as we talked again two weeks ago, to pause for a moment and, and let's define that. Right? Two weeks ago, we, we talked about what does it mean to obey? Because he talked about keeping his commandments. If we say we know God, he says, okay, well, here's the proof in the pudding, if you will. Right? Here's the validation of that. You're going to keep the commandments of God then. It's not enough just to make the claim. It's not enough just to say it. John says there, there should be action there. There should be follow through there. And we noted together that it's important for us to understand there is a difference, a very marked difference between God's brand of obedience. And I would add God's brand of submission, God's brand of love, God's brand, add anything, God's, God's definition and design of what marriage is, what a family is, what church should be like. Like God's version of that looks very, very different than what the world says uh, about some being some, you know, submitted or obedience or, or even love. And, and we noted together that there, there is a danger for us as Christians, if you name the name of Christ this morning, because sometimes what happens is we will take the world's definition the way the world does it, and we try to then live it or apply that within our Christian lives, within our marriages and our families, and it will not work. It's the wrong operating system. And so the church and you and I as Christians, again, we, we, it's important for us to discern the difference of how God defines something, how God has designed terms and words and, and life and how the world does. Because much of the trouble that and heartache that we see, I would say, within the church, with us as Christians, is when we adopt an unbiblical interpretation of what love is or submission is, um, and we abuse that, we neglect that, right? It it looks nothing like how God has defined it. It looks nothing like how God has designed it. And so what happens? People opt then for their own version. It's an amalgamation of a little bit of Bible and a lot of the world, and it, and it just, um, there's no fruit. There's a lot of frustration, a lot of fights, a lot of confusion. And we see that play out in our world today how God defines and designed a man and a woman, what marriage looks like, what family should look like. And the world says, I have a different definition. And so as we talk about love, let, let's just, let me just say this as we start out. As followers of Christ, we, we have to look to the scriptures. We have to look to the scriptures to provide for us the proper definition, and I would add the proper application of what love is. Because the world has its own version. And it, and it tries to promote its version to you and to me. You know, there are those who say, well, 
God loves us, and God made us, and God made us as we are. This is the way I was made. And, and so their conclusion then is then, so it must be okay for me to stay this way, for me to live in this lifestyle, for me to live in this sin, if they even use that word. And, and for us, we would lovingly contend to say, yeah, the part of that is true. Certainly, God loves us. The Bible tells us that. John's going to say God is love. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love. It's actionable. Even while we're yet sinners, God demonstrated his love. He sent Jesus to live and die for you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whomsoever believes on him won't perish but have everlasting life. And so, yes, God loves you. God loves us. And yes, God made us. Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, you and I were made in the image of God. God made them male and female. He created them. And so, yes, God is our creator. God made us the way that we are, if you will. But the Bible also says we were born into then a broken, sinful, dark world. And we are born into a broken world, if you will, with a broken nature. It's an imperfect world, and we have an imperfect nature. Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, says, and you know, it's this spiritual version of the uh, before and after Jenny Craig pictures. You know, it's we once walked according to the pattern of this world. We we once were children of wrath by nature. The Bible says. Um, Romans. Chapter 3 says, right, we, we all fall short of the glory of God. And so, yes, God made us. Yes, God created us. Yes, God loves us. But the reality is the Bible tells us that we're born broken. We're, we have a sin nature. We're born into a world that's been corrupted by sin. And, but God, but God in his mercy, but God in his grace, but God who loves you, who wants a relationship with his creation, God is the initiator. God sent himself, came in Jesus Christ as a man to live a perfect life that you and I cannot live and did not live and then sacrificed himself for us. And so the Bible says then because of God's great mercy through Christ alone and believing in what Christ has done for us, his work accomplishing that, then then we're saved. We place faith in that. God calls us to himself. But in that calling, it is a calling to him and out of and away from the world. It is to him and and away from our old sinful lifestyle. We're not to practice that anymore. We're not to walk in those ways anymore. But God puts us on this new path to pursue purity, to to be righteous, to be holy as he is holy. And in that pursuit, not, we're still not perfect. We're being perfected. God's grace is still there. We talked about it before. And so that's where it's different than how the world says, well, God is a God of love and God loves us and this is how God made us. And so if this is how God made us, then we're okay. Yeah, God loves us, God made us, but we're not okay. <laughs> that's where we're going to part ways. Does God love you? He does. Does God accept us as we are? He does. But the big difference is that God loves us so much, he doesn't leave us the same as we were. 
He wants better for us. And so he places his spirit inside of you to transform you and me. And in that transformation, it's a process. God begins to change our desires, begins to change our convictions, begins to change those things that we find contentment in. And so we depart then from the old life. We're to reckon the old person dead, another you know, passage um, tells us. And so we see Jesus in love. And certainly he engaged sinners. He, he, he initiated contact. He went to them where they were, where they ate, where they drank, where they sat, where they worked. He went there. And so we see that. And sometimes he crossed cultural lines, ones that were normally kind of taboo when he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember the disciples are freaking out. Like Even she's like, how are you, a Jew, speaking to me? But the big difference is, yes, he engaged them. Yes, he went to them in love, but he did not endorse their sin. He did not embrace their sin. He did not affirm their sin. He called them to repent. Even the religious leaders misunderstood all he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. He must then be like them. No, he wasn't like them. And see, the Lord met us where we were at. Like the Lord loves you and he came to you. But in his great love, he didn't leave us where we're at. He didn't say, okay, it's fine. You can just stay in that mess. He called us out of that mess. And again, I think that's where so often the world and even sometimes us as Christians, we, we can get it a little skewed. Jesus engaged the woman that was caught in adultery, um, the man that was healed, the pool of um, um, Bethesda in John chapter 5. And he says to them, go and sin no more. And so we, we want to make sure we understand, what, what is love? how does God define love then? What does that look like for us? Now John's going to do that, again, not... Not in an exhaustive way. He's not going to give us every single incident of how we can love people. He's going to give us basically large principles that then the Spirit for you and for me will work out in practice. And and essentially, what does he do? He's really going to just repeat what he heard from Jesus. That's really what he's going to do. I mean, he's fulfilling the Great Commission. The things that you've heard from me, right? The Go and teach those things that I have commanded. And so he follows the example that Jesus had set for him. And he continues when he says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old command that you had from the beginning. This old command that you've heard, it's the word that you've heard from the beginning. John's going to use that word commandment over a dozen times, three times just in this one verse alone. But what does he do? He asserts by beginning to say, listen, I'm going to repeat something to you that you already know. You already got this down. I mean, much like Second Peter, when Peter often will say, listen, I'm writing to these things to you. I know that you already know them, but I'm going to repeat them as long as I'm still in this body. Remember, he said, I'm going to make it my aim so you don't forget these things. Because we can forget these things. 
I mean, even in that, sometimes it's good for us just to be reminded of the things that we already know. We already heard this. We already learned this. He's basically saying, listen, family, this is Christianity 101. This is your new believers class that you took before. I know that you know it, but let's go do a little bit of a review. And so he comes back to that. And I I think it's it's good for us to be stirred and spurred at times. Why? Because if you're like me, we can become complacent. It becomes knowledge we have and we just kind of park it, but we get lazy, we get stagnant. You ever let your miso soup just sit a little too long? You know, it starts to separate. You got to stir it up. You got to get that yumminess, right? And so the same thing spiritually. Sometimes we just get stagnant. And so the word of God stirs these things up. It reminds us of these things. Now, he says, here's the old commandment. You already know the old commandment. You already read the old commandment. But you know what he doesn't, tell, he doesn't do for us? He doesn't tell us what it is. <laughs> so part of me is reading like, okay, what, what's the old commandment that I should already know? Which one? You ever been part of a conversation where everybody knows the context and you walk in or you're part and you're completely lost? You're like, I have no idea what they're talking about. So you kind of just sit there and smile and, you know. <laughs> They're like, okay, great. Well, then you're, the, you're going to do that. You're like, what did I just sign up for? Okay. Like, John, what are you talking about? What's the old commandment? He, in context, we, can, we know specifically he'll tell us. He doesn't get to it until chapter 4. He's going to talk about commands and commandments. But finally, in chapter 4, he's going to say in verse 21, and this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Okay. John has told us in the previous verse, chapter or verse 6, that if we abide in the Lord, then we, we ought to then walk like Jesus walked. Remember, he's not talking literal. Like, all right, what was the gate? What was the steps? What was the swagger that Jesus had when he walked? No, he's talking about lifestyle, right? He's talking about conduct. He's talking about things that, that marked the life of Jesus. When we look at the life of Jesus, what was his life marked by? His life was marked by love. His life was marked by love. Love of the Father and love for people. In the Gospels, Matthew 22, specifically. Actually, let's, can you turn there with me? You guys tab over in your phone or your iPad or just in your Bible. Flip over to the Gospels. Matthew 22. We'll read it together. It'd be good for us to get our eyeballs on this. Matthew 22. If you're familiar with the passage or if you have a red letter Bible, you're going to see a lot of red letters because Jesus is talking a lot He's giving a number of teachings. In fact, what was happening here is that the religious leaders were trying to to kind of trick him, trying to get him to trip over his own words and kind of have a gotcha moment. They they failed miserably. Um, In fact, they tried to set up this scenario, and at one point Jesus basically says, you guys are mistaken. You don't even know the scriptures or the power of God. And so what happens is he, he kind of sends that one group away, the Sadducees, and then the Pharisees are like, let me take a crack at him. 
And so in verse 34, it says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, well, they gathered together. They're like, all right, we're going to try do this. And one of them, a lawyer, asks him a question, testing him. Verse 35, testing him. They're not sincere. And they said, teacher, what's the great, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. But notice, he doesn't stop. He, he continues. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Essentially, Jesus answers their question. What's the great commandment? He answers that great commandment. You're going to love God with all of your heart and mind and strength and soul. Then he says, and the second is just like it. You're going to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he summarizes it. He basically says, listen, all of everything else hangs on these two. And the idea is like, if you focus on these two, you, you take care of these two, all the rest will take care of themselves, if you will. All the rest will fall into place. And, and what we need to understand is that the first and the second are given to us in that way because we cannot do the second unless we do the first part first. You can turn back to 1 John. We can't love others well. We can't love others as God would want us to love them unless we love God first, unless we're loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. Now, again, this all it builds together because we might ask, okay, what does loving God look like then? Is that just coming to church and we sing songs and we express our love to him and uh, we don't need to, you know, we can buy him chocolate? Well, John, John's already told us, he's already set the premise of, of what, if you say that you love God, he said, here's how you demonstrate that you love God, you're going to keep his commandments. And he told us it's incompatible for us to say, oh, I love the Lord, and then we just do our own thing. We, we need to submit our will to the will of God. We, we're going to yield to what his word tells us to do. Loving God, according to the Bible, equals obeying God. And this is radical, right? Because if we say that we love God unconditionally, then the idea is that we're going to obey God unconditionally. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me. Sometimes I'll put conditionality on that. I'll do that, Lord, if you do this. See, when we love God as he defines that for us, then we can love others well. And it is the, it is the principle that has been existing from the old. I mean, it's, it's inherent even in the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've heard this before. Of the Ten Commandments, part of them have to do with our relationship to God, and the other part of it has to do with our relationship with other people. In fact, arguably, more of them have to do with our relationship with other people. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. You're going to have one God. Don't have any other gods. You're going to love God. The second is don't have any idols. The idea is that we're not going to have anything that's going to take the place of God in our heart. Sometimes we think idols like this little 
wood stone thing. No, an idol can be anything, any love that you have that takes the place, takes first place in your heart above God. The third commandment is we're not to take God's name in vain. The idea that we don't malign the character of God, the nature of God. We don't talk poorly about, we don't badmouth God. That's the idea. And the fourth is, interestingly, that we're going to honor God on a day of rest. We're going to make time and, and take time. We're going to be intentional about that. We're not going to give God our leftovers. That's the idea. And arguably, Jesus would remind us, really, God gave that day for you and for me, right? The man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the man. That we get to, and the idea is that we should. If we're wise, <laughs> we want to be healthy, we should take time to rest. Those are the first four. The, the other six have to do with our relationship with other people. The fifth commandment is honor your mom and dad. Honor your parents. We get to the New Testament and Paul qualifies it and says, listen, the Bible says to honor your mom and dad so that you can live long and prosper. I love quoting that to my kids. Because the opposite is if you don't love your mom and dad, well, mom's taking you out. That's, you know. <laughs> don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. I mean, those are all relational uh, with other people type of, um, you know, commandments. And so this old commandment, he doesn't tell us right away, but it is then, what is it? Well, love God with all of our heart and love other people. We got to make sure we put that in the right sequence because a healthy and right relationship with others is predicated. It begins, it's dependent upon a right and healthy relationship that you have with God first. So let's just make that a, a diagnostic. How is your relationship with the Lord today? Where, where are you with Jesus? Because one indicator can be that if your relationships around you, if you're having difficulty in, in your closest relationships, sometimes, not always, but a lot of times, that is an indicator light. That is the dashboard, a spiritual dashboard that something isn't right with you and God. And at the very least, we should begin there, right? Because if things are off and you're bickering and you're fighting and you're in a bad mood and you're just short with each other and just things aren't, you know, you're just on a different page, the first place that we should look is just look to ourselves first. Lord, where, what's going on in my own heart? Now, again, it may not, may not always be the issue. It may not be the case because there are some people, they just got, they got stuff, Right? <laughs> They got their own baggage. They got their own issues. And, and they're working some stuff out with God. And sometimes it's okay. Let's just have a healthy boundary. It's fine. I mean, Jesus, remember, he, he would separate himself sometimes for things. He, there, he put the scoffers out. Sometimes distance, it's healthy for us to have some space. But the very least, I think it's good for us just to have a, take a spiritual heart inventory. Not getting along with somebody, constantly at odds, you're fighting, they're irritating you. Start with yourself. It's the same, it's kind of the same principle in, in Matthew 5. Jesus says, before you go and take a speck out of your brother's eye or your sister's eye, you, you gotta go and take the plank, right? The the log. You got a big log in your own eye. That's the idea. 
And so, yeah, how's your walk with the Lord today? Where, where are you at? Your devotion life, your prayer life. I, I hope and pray, and I say this in love, that your only time, that your time of worship and your time of opening your Bible, I pray it's not only on Sunday mornings when we gather. You, you, you are cheating yourself. You will have a, uh, uh, you'll be malnourished spiritually if this is the only time that you're cracking open your Bible and that you're thinking about the Lord or you're taking time to worship the Lord. You know, I found this to be true, that when my relationship with God is not where it should be, I've, and there's grace, of course, but I, I know what happens to me. I, my, I, my fuse gets a little shorter. My tongue gets a little sharper. I can be a little more judgmental. I'm a little more impatient. What happens? Because I'm not walking in the Spirit. Maybe you can relate, right? We, we're not walking in the Spirit. So if we're not walking in the Spirit, what takes over? Well, the deeds of the flesh take over. Everything then becomes about how I'm inconvenienced and how it's you know, um, bothering me and my schedule and my time and my resources. And, and, and quickly we can move into a place where then we're just, we have harsh words or we're isolating ourselves or distancing ourselves. Why? Because... Well, we're walking in the flesh. And so, it's no new commandment. We're to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Then we love others as as ourselves. Then he says in verse 8, again, a new commandment I write to you. Again, for me, I'm reading, I'm like, okay, what? I didn't know what the old one was, John. What's the new one? A new commandment I write to you, the thing which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. All right, well, I think I'm good on the old commandment. What's the new commandment? It sounds like a little bit of a contradiction. Didn't you just say we have an old commandment, but now we have a new commandment? So again, as we study these things, I think context helps us to point us and where we should go, he says, it's this thing I'm writing to you. It's true in him and in you. Then we got to figure out, okay, who's him? Well, him is Jesus Christ, the righteous, back in verse 1. What's true of Christ is also true of us. If John is writing to them and saying, okay, you already have this before. You already know this old commandment. And he's talking about the things that Jesus talked about. Well, is there any time that Jesus talked about a new commandment? Yeah, there is. And so we go to the Gospels again. And I want to suggest to you that John is simply repeating what he heard Jesus say when Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you. And here's what he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, if I'm listening to that, I might interject and say, oh, that's not a new commandment, Jesus. He's like, hey, listen, Rick, I'm not done. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another And he goes on to say that even as I have loved you, then you must love one another. Oh, that's the new part. That's the part that's different. That qualifier that Jesus adds, right? He amplifies for us. Not just love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the same. That doesn't change. That's what we're to do. Love others as we love ourselves. That is modified. We're to love others as Jesus loved us. 
He raises the standard then of what love should look like. In fact, he's going to raise it so high, it's surprising, it's shocking, it, it's rebellious. He's going to say, oh, you've heard it said before that you should love God and hate your enemies. I say to you, love God and love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That is a high bar. It's radical. What's new? What's the new commandment? Loving God with all of our being is the same. Loving others like Jesus loved us, that's the new standard. Getting in these, these things. You know what's understood, and we talked about this before, and I want to make sure we understand. When we come to these things where God gives us a directive, we have to understand what underlines and girds that is the fact that the Lord has given you the Spirit, His Spirit. And so His Spirit then enables us to do these things. And ourselves, we can't. Right? Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. How can I do that? How can I love somebody who's unlovable? How can I... How can I love a person the way that Jesus loved me? No, in ourselves we can't. But in the Lord we can. And so we are called, you understand? You and I are called then to love others the same way that Jesus has loved you. The same love that he's shown you. What's the love? Sacrificial love. Others-centered love. Dying to self-love. A giving love. A generous love. A forgiving love. How does that play out? Here, here's a challenge I want to pose to you. Think about the person in your life that's the most unlovable. Maybe right now you're like, I don't want to think about them. How, how would God want you then to love that person? Are we, are we willing to? John's going to give us more handles of, of what this will look like in chapter 3. He's going to talk about, hey, if you see somebody that's in need and you say, oh, well, God bless you and I love you and you don't help them out, he's going to say, how's that really love? He's going to talk about, we can't love the world and love God. Th those two things will be incompatible. And so here's the new commandment. What's the new commandment, John? It's true in you and it's true in Christ? Well, that we love people as God Jesus loved us. He says, why? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The true light is already shining. Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. And then he'd also say, you're the light of the world. These themes of light and darkness, John uses a lot. And remember we talked about before, it's not literal, it's an analogy. It's a typology, it's, a, uh, it's an illustration of just darkness being evil and wickedness, this dark world that we live in, it's broken, it's depraved, and light being, well, holy and pure, the things of God. And so we get to then be the light for Christ. The true light's already shining. Jesus came into the world as the light of the world. And he places his spirit in you and in me, and now we get to be his light. We get to continue to shine in this dark world. 
And the idea that the world, the darkness is passing, it's the idea that time is short. That's what it means. We have a limited amount of time. Peter says, you and I are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Another translation says, you're a peculiar people. That God has chosen, why? So that we might proclaim the praises of him who has called us, rescued us, delivered us, PCS'd us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. We get to do that. We get to bring forth this message of love and light into this dark world. And we live in a dark world. I have found myself, I've had to be very mindful of how much I'm absorbing and reading the news. Because I'm finding myself being, I get anxious and a little bit fearful. It's so depressing. And on the surface, you just think, man, evil is prevailing. It just seems to get worse and worse every time I'm reading and looking at these things. And people then around us who are consuming those same things without a biblical perspective, without a biblical worldview, get caught up in that. And then we get to shine a light on that to say, listen, God wins. God is on the throne. Jesus loves us. Our hope is not in a political candidate. Our hope is not in policies. Our hope is not in uh, you know, the currency and the exchange rate turning around. Our, our hope is in Christ because the problem, although it manifests its brokenness in these things, the cause is spiritual. The world is spiritually broken, and so it needs a spiritual cure. And Jesus is that cure. Jesus is the light. And, and we get to then be his light. And how do we shine his light? We shine his light when we love people. And yes, in terms of order, it's we love one another first. It doesn't negate then our loving other people, but it begins with us. And so what does he say in regards to this? Verse 9. Actually, I'm going to group 9 and 11 because it's essentially the same thing. You know, he starts with a negative, goes to positive, and goes to negative, how he reinforces his point. And so they're essentially the same. He just says them in different ways. Verse 9, he who says, so this is a, 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 a confession or a, a person who's making a claim. He who says he's in the light. And the, equa- the, the equivalent is he who says they're a Christian. He who says he loves God, knows God. But then they hate their brother? Well, they're in darkness is what he's saying. And in verse 11, he says, and the person who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. And the idea is he doesn't know where he's going because why? Because they're blind. They're unaware. So a person who makes a claim that I know God and I love God and then they hate people, John says, that's incompatible. That's conduct unbecoming a Christian. It doesn't fit. It doesn't translate. And because of that, then you're still then walking in darkness. That's the idea. And he repeats this several times, doesn't he? I mean, it seems like he has a real issue with people who just make these claims, right? 
I told you before when I was in high school, we had these people who they, they, they wore surfing clothes, they had the th- flip-flops, but we never saw them in the water. And so when I was in high school, we called them posers. And John has an issue with Christian posers. You just say it, but you don't really do it. It's just all um, words. In fact, later on, he's going to say in chapter 4, if you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. How does he describe them? They walk in darkness. They're still walking in depravity. They're still walking in wickedness. And then he adds, and they're blinded. They don't don't see. They're blind to their own behaviors. They're blind to their own attitude. They're blind to their own, um, you know, jerkiness. And so it's a pretty strong and unapologetic term when John writes, "We, we we can't truly be followers of Christ and harbor hatred in our heart for people. I know we can struggle with those things, and I'm a person that uh, my stepdad, who uh, hurt my mom in a very terrible way, like, um, you know, when Jesus talks about forgiving seven times 70, this process, like, I'm still there. But to harbor and entertain and sit in that place, the Bible says we can't, it's incompatible. And then verse 10, though, he says, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. You you note with me that in verse 9, he says, It's he who says. It's the person who makes a claim. But in verse 10, it says, He who loves. And so the idea, it's different. There's a a person who makes a claim, and then there's the person who does it, right? As the saying goes, actions speak louder than words. John's going to tell us later on, let's not just love in word and with our lips, you know, with our our tongue. In 3.18, he's going to say, but let's love in deed. Let's love in action. Let's love in truth. So certainly we want to be in a place where we can tell people, hey, listen, I love you. I care about you. I care about how you're doing. I care about how your marriage is. I care about how your family is. I care about your, your season of singleness and that you're waiting on you know, God to bring someone. Like we, we can say that, but John adds, listen, we need to make it more than just words. Let, let's show that. Let's express that. That a, that a genuine love is going to be evidence. Evidence by the things we, that we do, but also it's evidence of the fact that we love Jesus. And, and I would say it's a very powerful evidence. It's the contrast to 9 and 11. Right? God's light shines bright when you and I love each other and we love each other sincerely and we love people around us. The world has enough of complainers. The world has enough of judgers. The world has enough of... Uh, and sadly, you know, the, there are those who think it's their job just to condemn, you know, condemn the sinner, condemn uh, these people. That ministry is full. We get, we get to do a different lane. Again, we don't embrace, we don't uh, uh, affirm, we don't endorse sin, but we certainly can engage the sinner. We certainly can step in and alongside and love and serve and listen and care and show kindness like Jesus did. 
In fact, here's my challenge to you. Make it your homework. Think of, pray for, be intentional about ways that you can intentionally show love to somebody this week. Maybe it's the unlovable person at work. It's the one that you're like, oh, I hope they called in sick today, right? Or, or the neighbor across the street that you're, you're happy when their car's not there. Like, all right, Lord, how can I go love this person today? Goes on to say, there's no cause for stumbling in him. And I think it can mean two ways. One, it can mean, listen, if we're walking in the light, and we're loving people, then we're not going to cause others to stumble. They're not going to look at our life and say, man, you say you're a Christian, but you're a jerk. Or you say you're a Christian and like those are the things that you're looking at on the internet, or those are the things, those are the jokes that you tell, or right, that we're not gonna cause other people to stumble. Or we make a confession and say, Oh, I know the Lord and I love the Lord, and I go to Calvary and these things, and they're like, Really, you're a Christian? Because you're a terrible person. And we don't cause them to stumble. There's no discrepancy. So that's one way we can look at it. The other way we can look at it is that if we're walking in the line, we're loving the Lord, then it's not, there's nothing to cause us to stumble. We're not going to get tripped up in these things that take away from our walk with the Lord. I mean, to me, it's as simple as you think about your, your house at nighttime. If you're like me, you can get up sometimes in the middle of the night and try to find your way to the bathroom or you know, somewhere else. And, um, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, these are the places I got to navigate, but it's so much better if I just turn on the light or I grab my iPhone and use it as a flashlight, right? We avoid then walking into the furniture, stepping on the dog or, uh, stepping on toys, or in my case, a size 15 shoe that, uh, you know, Ben leaves. See, if we're walking in God's light, we're loving people as God has called us to, then we won't get tripped up. We won't get tripped up ourselves by then harboring pride or jealousy or unforgiveness or bitterness or, or worse again, that we begin to, you know, we're beginning to entertain how we revenge uh, or withdraw or isolate ourselves. Where our hearts grow bitter, we become cold. Jesus says, if we love God and we love others as he's loved us, that, that fulfills all the law and the prophets. Keeps it simple. In fact, Jesus even said in John 13, 35, here's how the world will know that you belong to me. Here's how the world will know that you're connected to me. You're my disciple. And, and notice with me, he doesn't say, here's how they'll know. When you walk on water, when you go and do miraculous things, when you can make fish tacos you know, just like I can. Feed 5,000. Here's what he says. Here's how the world will know you belong to me by your love for one another. That, that, that's our distinctive mark. That should be our distinctive mark. Not by doing miracles, not by power, not by, by might, not by preaching, moving sermons and doing all these things. Nope, it, it's simple. It's God's agape love being the showcase of your faith to the world around you. It's he who loves his brother and abides in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
for your word this morning, the exhortation that we have, a challenge that we have. Lord, you have lifted the bar high in how we are to love one another. And God, I pray that we would, by your spirit, rise to that occasion. And Lord, perhaps there are some people in our life and situations in our life that it's a struggle. God, I pray that in your grace, you would allow us, enable us, Lord, to love them, to forgive them. Lord, I recognize too that your word says as much as it's possible for us to be at peace, sometimes it's not. Sometimes the loving thing for us to do is just to keep distance. But Lord, not always. And so I pray in those cases, Lord, if that's the case for us, that we be obedient to how your spirit's speaking. Lord, that when things are rocky and wonky with people around us, that we wouldn't first then seek to blame them and pass off the responsibility to others, but Lord, that we would take a spiritual pause and inventory and find where, where are we with you? How's our walk with you, our worship life, our prayer life, our devotion time? Lord, thank you that you loved us. And it's in this agape love that you've called us that we get to be your light and to shine your light through the acts and the deeds of love to the people around us and help us to do that well. In Jesus' name, amen.